Hi there, Megan Thompson with Megan Thompson Coaching, and today we're going to talk about three challenges your sensitive child who is stuck in the meltdown cycle can be struggling with in relation to social skills. So if you need help with your sensitive child navigating social relationships, experiencing uh, friendships, and you see there are lots of room for improvement, then make sure that you stick around to today's show. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So here we have a conversation about social skills, right? There's three things that I really want to talk about today related to that. Uh, but first, I want to make sure that we're all in the right place. Okay, so last week, we spoke about uh, misconceptions about highly sensitive kids and how that can play out in different social situations sometimes. And this week, we're going to navigate uh, the, the, the personal inter interpersonal and personal circumstances that your kid is having and experiencing and that you need to support your sensitive child in building effective skills within themselves, so that they can effectively nav navigate uh, social situations, okay? What do I mean by effectively navigate social situations? I mean, make friends, keep friends, <laughs> uh, be friendly, uh, set boundaries effectively. We'll talk about that today. And um, uh, just generally relate to other people in an effective manner, right? In a skillful manner. So a couple things that we see uh, parents really struggle with in this avenue especially if you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, is wondering what sort of behavior your child is going to show up with in a social situation, right? If your child is hitting, yelling, kicking, screaming, running away, shutting down, refusing at home, you are walking on eggshells at home and you're, strugg you're, you're struggling with wondering when that behavior is going to show up in the social scenarios, like for school or extracurricular activities, sports, dance, um, well, dance is a sport, <laughs> sorry, scouts um, and uh, other, other you know, experiences, family gatherings, etc. right? Time play at the park, etc. right? So when you're nervous about that, when you're wondering about that as a parent, uh, there are a couple of things that, I, that you'll, you need to be able to focus on in teaching your child how to manage these big emotions safely at home so that your child can consistently demonstrate safe behavior in public situations. Now, if your child's already struggling in public situations and your child is seemingly more regulated at home, stay tuned. We are talking about this today as well. There is still room for growth. The, the focus still needs to be taught in the home. The focus on managing emotions in social situations needs to be taught at home because you're raising a highly sensitive child. These are kids who feel big feelings, notice small details, process those small details, are, are highly detail-oriented and taking in a lot of information from the world, whether that be feelings-related or facts-related, observations-related, 
and they can be quite sensitive to changes in that, those environments, right? And whether whether and that leads to meltdowns for children who don't have skills because they're easily overstimulated, easily overwhelmed, and they can be emotionally reactive in their response to the environment. And uh, when when we talk about this, excuse me, when we talk about this pattern that parents are in, many parents you, you can get tripped up. Like, okay, does does what you're talking about, Megan, still relate to my kid if they're only having meltdowns at school, or if they're only having meltdowns at home? or if they're only having meltdowns at soccer. Right? It doesn't matter, guys, it doesn't matter. The setting that your child is having an emotional experience that is unskillful in doesn't matter when you're raising a highly sensitive kid. I'm gonna say it one more time. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I just said it. So let's focus on that. Your child is struggling with managing their emotions no matter where that shows up, you are the person who helps your child change. But this is this is something that we talk about often because it, it focuses on the scientific concept called vantage sensitivity. Vantage sensitivity demonstrates that your child is more emotionally resilient when you change the relationship at home and they feel more positively connected to you. This is not the same as how much love for you have you have for your kid. All right. Obviously, if you're watching or listening to any sort of show on parenting, you are very full of love for your child right? You're not dismissing your child's needs. You're trying to be a better parent. You're trying to be more effective at parenting your child based on their needs. And therefore that means, of course, you love them. Of course you love them. And that's not what needs to shift. And that's not what we, we teach in, in an MTC, right? We don't, we don't really focus on the fact that you love your child. Of course you do. Love is the foundation of changing how you parent. <laughs> Love and insight uh, is, is the, the foundation of changing how you parent effectively, a highly sensitive child. So we focus on insight. We focus on changing how you, how you present that love, changing how you teach your child about love and how you teach and lead through love, okay? So what that means is that your sensitive child who is stuck in fear and frustration and overwhelm and aggravation, they're not focusing on what they love about the world. They're not feeling like they can believe that they are loved and uh, are lovable. Oh, that hits hard when you're parenting a sensitive kid, doesn't it? Because your child is struggling. They're not believing you. So all the convincing in the world is not going to change their mind because this is an internal experience that we're working on and we're talking about today. Your child struggling in social experiences is an internal experience, yes. When a child is struggling with emotional experiences and they have emotionally reactive behaviors like meltdowns, outbursts, or, or freezing and wanting to run away and refusing or isolating themselves, that's an internal problem. Even though it's demonstrated in an external way, in an external community or in an external event, it's an internal problem. It's a skill set issue, not a personality trait, not who your kid is, not their identity, not their self-concept. It is a problem with how they see themselves though, which is a self-concept problem, all right? And it's a self-capability problem, how they feel that they are capable of managing themselves in social situations, whether they tell you or not. It is what it is, okay? Um, now, 
let's focus on this. Excuse me. If you're watching this on video, seeing me scratch my face a bazillion times because I have a piece of hair that is attached to my head <laughs> that is curled in the wrong direction. So excuse me. All right. So, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, then this is just me being weird. All right. Let's focus. When highly sensitive kids struggle with their big emotions, they have a really hard time with boundaries. This is one of the issues that you need to support your child in managing. Your child needs to be able to set appropriate boundaries, honor other people's boundaries, and keep appropriate boundaries. All right? So a boundary of I am somebody who is who who you know speaks kindly to other people. It's a boundary you have about uh, who you are. That's part of your identity. Um, I respect other people's physical boundaries. I am somebody who doesn't hit, right? And then there's emotional boundaries. I'm somebody who doesn't take on other people's ineffective behaviors, like hitting and name calling. I don't allow it. And I set that boundary for myself appropriately. So I say I don't allow it in a safe way rather than being a doormat and not wanting it and letting somebody talk to me like that or hitting back when somebody hits me or, or when somebody calls me a name hitting them, right? Those are all demonstrations of ineffective or, you know, to use layman's terms, poor boundaries. This is really important to pay attention to. Social skills issues for a highly sensitive child are not in knowing what's right to do and what's wrong to do. Your kiddo already observes that. They just have a hard time generalizing the skill from knowledge into transforming their behavior. Difference between information and transformation. We talked about that a little bit of that last week. Definitely go ahead and watch last week's show on the misconceptions of highly sensitive kids to um, capitalize on this, okay? You can listen to that after this though. You don't have to pause and go, go listen. So your child needs to learn how to set their own boundaries and respect them and listen to other people's boundaries and respect them. Children don't respect boundaries of themselves or other people, not due to a lack of knowledge. Okay, a lack of knowledge is not keeping your child from respecting boundaries, their own or other people's. A lack of emotion regulation skill is what's keeping your child from honoring their own boundaries and respecting other people's boundaries. This is really, really important. When you're raising a highly sensitive child, they need to know not just that they're worthy of, of safety and self-respect and respect from other people, but also that they are capable and they need to believe it enough to act it out in real life, to show it in real life with their behavior. Actions speak louder than words, right? You can say you're, you're, you're a highly committed person to changing how you show up as a parent. And if you don't take action to do that and you're all talk, then guess what? You're all talk, right? You can talk to your friends about how you really wish things were different in your life. And, and then it just becomes a vent session if you're not doing anything to change it, right? So obviously you're listening here and that's passive doing. You're learning, right? But if you're not acting differently at home and behaving differently at home or behaving differently with your kids, then it's just talk. You're talking in one ear and it's going out with the other. Somebody else, me, I'm talking in one ear and it's going out the other. You have to take action to shift. The same thing goes with your kid. Your kid can talk about how they're supposed to do something different all day long, right? In fact, shame 
the shame of the experience of, of behaving ineffectively, whether that be hitting, yelling, kicking, or um, just you know not standing up for other kids or, or, or not standing up for themselves, that's a shameful experience. Uh, it's not something that you want your child, child to feel shame about. They just already do, human beings, right? When you don't do something that you know you really wanna do, you feel ashamed. If you don't, and you know you really are supposed to do, usually, you feel ashamed. And then if you're not insightful, you might blame other people, right? Blame is shame leaving the body. Brene Brown speaks about that. She's the leading researcher in shame in the United States. And so if a kiddo is saying, well, I hit him because he hit me back. Well, guess what? That's blame, right? Your kid's blaming the other kid for their behavior. Wait a minute. Where's that insight? <laughs> but if your kid can say, oh, I know, I know I'm not supposed to hit. Well, great. They have the awareness and the knowledge of the boundary, but they're not behaving in a way that demonstrates that they feel capable of upholding that boundary. And that's a diff that's the difference. You have to be able to teach your child to feel capable of upholding the boundary. And that's not a talking conversation. That's a behaving differently conversation. That is a playful communication conversation. There's, there's many more factors that go into play when we talk about, when we focus on shifting behaviors in this. This is why we have uh, what we do here at MTC in, in breaking out of that pattern, because it's not just a conversation and knowledge drop that, that needs to happen. All right. Your child needs to be able to practice saying no. Your child needs to be able to feel capable of doing that and do it in real life too. Two things, okay? Um, saying no to themselves when they want to hit, saying no to, um, to other people. They have to rewire how they react to the world differently. Um, because if shame is the automatic reaction, then uh, that needs to shift. Highly sensitive kids are more prone to shame in general. Some of them are able to shift out of that shame faster, which leads to not having, sh you know, creating shameful behaviors um, or behaviors that they feel ashamed about, like meltdowns, right? Or other aggressive behavior or internally uh, ineffective behavior. The shameful response to feel like a piece of crap. I, I, I'm not saying the child should feel ashamed. I'm not, I'm not adding shame to the equation. That's what lecturing does. That's what condescension does. Well, and, and so if right now you're feeling ashamed as a human being, as an adult, then that's an invitation. That's an opportunity for you to notice, hmm, if I'm learning something and there's a behavior that I need to shift or there's a circumstance that I'm looking at this from some, some other way, and uh, somebody's telling the truth about a personal experience or about an internal experience my child is having that I, and I didn't think of it like that before. And my immediate response is, oh crap, does that make me a bad parent? That's shame, guys. Th does that mean I'm shaming you? No, I'm not calling you a bad person. I'm not saying you're a terrible person. In fact, I, uh, you know, I said the opposite already today and, and many times. There's a big difference, right? If you have a history of being lectured as a child, then it's very possible that you lecture yourself and you automatically internalize shameful experiences somebody who, of who you are. And so you hear feedback from me as a human being saying, hey, this is actually what's going on, not what you thought, as holy crap, you're a bad person, or holy crap, you're a bad person, a uh, bad parent, or there's something wrong with you. Did I say that? No, go back and replay this. That's the understanding of boundaries, the understanding of boundaries as a, a coach, right? So myself, if, if you hear my words differently, is that my problem to fix? Nope. That's a boundary. I don't go chase people, make them feel better about what I have to say. I just speak my truth 
and say it. And if the people who are okay hearing it want to work with me, great. Want to work with our team, great. We're straight shooters over here at MTC. You have to be able to take it and then ask questions about it if you're taking, if you feel like you're taking it ineffectively or it's it's tough to swallow. But that's what coaching is, right? You look at um, the difference between that and and uh, you know any other advice giving, like a really effective boundary leadership, like what you know what we teach our clients and how I talk to my team is uh, you're going to say something that is true and call it tight, you know, say it, say it, you know, just like in regular old coaching, like I used soccer last week. So let's use, let's use uh, gymnastics this week. Okay. So, um, there's a gymnastics, there's a cheerleading coach out of Philadelphia who teaches cheerleading as if they're, who teaches cheerleading as if they're, they're a, a gymnast. All right. Um, and this coach, uh, teaches cheerleaders how to do flips and tricks effectively so they don't get injured. And so if these cheerleaders are going to this coach, and, and I'm not here to name names or whatever, I want to use the sports analogy because coaching in the sports world makes, is like just more socially um, uh, effectively assigned, right? So if you're doing something ineffectively, like this, you know, say for example, you got a teenager who's a cheerleader and she's doing flips and she's landing like, um, I'm trying to just, like she's landing um, her and her whole hand, and the, please, <laughs> um, she's doing a handstand. Let me do that right. Okay, she's doing a handstand, and her whole palm is not on the ground. Instead, she's scrunching her fingers, and her knuckles are up. Um, and the coach says, hey, what you're doing isn't working, and that's going to lead to spine issues. It's going to lead to back problems, lower back problems. It's going to, you know, jack with your shoulder. Soon enough, you're going to have um, a, a rotator cuff problem. So you got to flatten your hands. We're going to actually slow you down. Keep it simple. Get your, you know, just focus on getting your hands on the ground safely. The coach is a good coach, right? They're an effective coach. Are they telling the cheerleader that the cheerleader is a crappy cheerleader? No. It's just not doing something or seeing it in the right way because they learned a different way before or because they, um, you know, picked up habits that were ineffective. And so it's up to that cheerleader to, to not call themselves a bad cheerleader or a bad kid or a bad person or a crappy will never succeed in life person, <laughs> right? Unsuccessful. It's up to the cheerleader to shift that behavior. Now, a good coach is going to point that out and say, hey, how are you talking to yourself when I give you this feedback? And that's a mindset coach. So that coach is a mindset coach and a cheerleading coach, right? If you live in the Philly area and you have a cheerleader who's injured, um, <laughs> uh, regularly. There's actually a, a um, really good coach out there. I don't, I don't know them specifically. I could just watch my daughters in, in um, gymnastics. And so um, I'm just paying attention. So anyways, we look at this from the standpoint of parenting. Most parenting coaches will give you advice. They'll say, hey, do this, not that. Do this, not that. Do this, not that. But where's the critical thinking skills? Where's the awareness of, hey, if you hear do this, not that, and, and act now and pause now or, or act later, and then you think, oh, bad person, terrible, human, oh, 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 this is the worst. Then, and nobody's calling that out for you. Or they're saying, oh, no, 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 it, it's going to be all right. You'll be fine. I'm sure you're doing the best you can. And then they walk back their feedback to you. They're not an effective coach. Because their job is to make you feel better rather than make you effective. 
and what you want to do and help you reach your goals. So there's a big difference, okay? So you're going to make sure that you're paying attention to who you're paying attention to and who has effective boundaries so that you can manage learning from that person and learn from that person effectively. So um, this is something that we talk to our team about and we talk to our clients about and because there are, there's feedback that you're going to give your child and your child's going to have a shame reaction to it because they automatically jump to shame often. And they might blame you or they might think that um, you're lecturing them or you're calling them names or you're mean and it will be up to you to not own that and have a boundary around that. Okay, this is where highly, parents of highly sensitive kids stuck in the meltdown cycle get trapped in treating their child as fragile. They change the expectation because their kid has a quote, quote, bad reaction to it. So you need to be able to have a neutral party observing that and say, no, keep going. Or actually your delivery was shaming or, ah, well, you're doing this and this, but you know, so the, the one thing you did that is working is great. Keep, keep that going. But this and this is what's, what's, you know, uh, struggling. This is where troubleshooting comes in. All right. Uh, second thing related to social skills and supporting your child is in empathy. Okay. So the conversation around boundaries has to happen first, because if you're empathetic, where you notice other people's feelings and you, and you put yourself in their shoes and you can associate with why they might be upset. And then that leaks into feeling pity for them and then changing your expectation of them as a result. That's, that's, that's ineffective boundaries and ineffective management of your own empathy. This is what's happening when you treat your child as fragile. So when your child is responding in the same way, oh, little Sally was really sad at, you know, me getting the last Oreo. And so I gave it to her. I didn't want her to feel sad. I really, really, really wanted that Oreo, but I gave it to her because I didn't want her to feel sad. A creative problem solution would be, hey, Sally, I'll split it with you. I really want to have an Oreo too. I'll split it with you. And if Sally says, no, I want the whole thing, then six-year-old, your, you know, your six-year-old might say, okay, well, um, let me know when you change your mind. I'll save it for you. I'll eat this half first. A six-year-old who's empathetic and has ineffective boundaries and lets the, the empathy leak out into, into loosey-goosey uh, boundaries says, oh, all right, here you go. Hey, if you're parenting a highly sensitive kid who's stuck in the meltdown cycle, moms, dads, parents, caregivers, and you see your other kids do that to your highly sensitive kid, maybe they're the one given in with the Oreos, then the whole family has an empathy problem. It's really important to be paying attention to that, right? This is a family dynamic issue. The meltdown cycle is a family dynamic issue because if one person's treating the child as fragile, guaranteed other kids in the house are treating the, or other family members are doing that too in different ways. They're either denying, no way, not on my watch, my kid's uh, fragile. Let me make them suck it up, right? You might have, have that dichotomy going on, either in your own inner war as a parent yourself, or maybe more than one parent in the house, or siblings, resentment builds. So it's really important that, that sympathy and pity, right? Feeling bad for somebody and then giving in to what they need or feeling bad for somebody and then thinking that they're not capable, that's pity, sympathy is the first one, um, is, is what's going on here. Wanting to make somebody feel better or changing what you think they're capable of. 
So sympathy is wanting to make is noticing somebody's emotions and wanting to make them feel better, make it go away. Pity is um, noticing somebody feels bad and then thinking they're incapable of managing those emotions. All right, which leads to poor boundaries. Sense so sympathy, because eventually you're going to burn out on that, right? So. Your child needs to be able to understand the emotions of others and act on that empathy. And that's what's the skill gap. It's not feeling empathetic. Your child feels empathetic. Um, go listen to my show about you know whether or not you're raising a sociopath. I talk about empathy a lot. Um, what's, what's bigger, what's bigger in this problem is that your child is not acting on the empathy. So they feel empathetic and then they don't know what to do with it and that leads to pity and sympathy. Then uh, if they th feel empathetic and they know how to set boundaries and can effectively manage it, which means that they uphold their own standards, ideals, and feel comfortable compromising rather than giving in. All right, so the Oreo example would be if the child feels proud of their decision to give half the Oreo away, then that's a creative problem-solving compromise. Sounds great. Love it. Good on you, bud, for thinking about how that other person might feel, noticing they got the short end of the stick, and figuring out a way to make it um, work out for the two of you. Awesome. Right? And if the child doesn't want to share the, the cookie and feels okay with that and is normalized in that experience and there's other cookies available to that kid and that kid was just really hoping for an, for an Oreo, then that's up to that kid to manage the disappointment around the Oreo because there's other cookies available. They didn't get their favorite cookie, no problem, right? Or say, for example, your child already ate half the cookie and was like, uh, you know, it's kind of gross if I give it to the other one. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm going to choose not to eat it, but I also can't share it. So I'm going to self-punish because you didn't get some? No. That's an ineffective use of empathy too. That's martyrdom. Boundaries and empathy go together, right? Um, so then we go into last one, which is conflict. That's one we'll talk today about. <laughs> There's plenty. But um, conflict resolution. Highly sensitive kids who are emotionally uh, struggling with managing their big emotions, who are emotionally struggling with managing their big behaviors. Sorry. Um, could really struggle with conflict resolution. We see this a lot where sensitive kids will uh, either hold it all in or explode and then be worried that they're going to do one of, of those two things. This is another vicious cycle within the meltdown cycle is an inability to compromise and manage uh, conflict safely. And so your kid can be really struggling with this. And so when we teach uh, all three of them, they're all intertwined, okay? These aren't like separate skills you need to teach. You have to teach them all together and, um, and separately. So uh, being able to re resolve conflict effectively means you need to be able to listen appropriately, right? If you've ever been in a situation where you've been telling somebody something that's bothering you and they have a rebuttal like already planned, um, and, and they haven't been listening, that feels crappy, right? So your child needs to be able to listen actively. Highly sensitive kids who are regulated are exceptional listeners. They're, they're deep thinkers. So they're taking what you're telling them and they're, they're extrapolating it into multiple ideas. So um, it's really important to notice that, that you don't need to teach active listening to your kid. You don't need to teach social skills. You need to teach emotion regulation so that your kid's social skills, skills can shine. So... Um, highly sensitive kids are naturally more focused on morality and fairness. 
And it's important that they understand the difference between even Steven and fair, right? Because, you know, you might think that me calling it tight and saying, hey, you have a boundaries issue or whatever I said earlier, isn't fair. If you felt poorly about that, had an automatic shame reaction, didn't like it and wanted it your way, you would say, that's not fair. You'd have a two-year-old tantrum about it, right? Your two-year-old self would show up. Does it really, is it factually unfair? Or does it just feel unfair, right? So highly sensitive kids, when they notice that their feelings aren't facts, can navigate those emotions, can decrease those, inten those intense emotions. And as a parent, you need to lead them through that process. So you need to build that skill set yourself in order to notice the difference. So um, you can't be afraid of your big emotions. You have to be able to feel capable of managing them. That means you can't stuff them and you also can't like wait for them to solve themselves. All right. So, um, healthy communication demonstrates uh, fair conflict resolution, creative conflict resolution, and um, supportive conflict resolution. All right. So, next one uh, that we need to be focusing on is having opportunities. All right. Your child needs opportunities to manage and practice these social interactions. Again, going back to that fragility piece. Don't treat your kid like they're fragile. Don't hold them back from social engagements that they want to have just because you're worried about how this will play out or you don't know how to navigate um, teaching them their social experiences. Let them surprise you. When they're emotionally regulated and they're out of the meltdown cycle, highly sensitive kids can actually navigate social interactions much more effectively. They can process forgiveness effectively. They don't hold resentment. They don't hold grudges. They see outside the problem to find opportunities. They look on the bright side, right? Children naturally are more effective. They haven't been beaten down by society <laughs> to not be optimistic anymore. As adults, we have to retrain our brains to be optimistic. Children are naturally optimistic when they're emotionally regulated, All right? So um, that's really important. Okay, so it, it's it's actually ineffective to raise a child who, where you're, you're wanting them to be more pragmatic. Pragmatism is the death of possibility. So can't have them run away from experiences, can't have them um, hold back from those experiences. And then the, the next thing is um, noticing that um, deep social skills uh, focus is really the ability to focus on somebody else other than yourself and ask inquisitive questions. Great news. Your kid already naturally has the opportunity to, to be um, socially skillful. So the third part is, is, is to allow your child to naturally demonstrate that. If your child isn't able to naturally demonstrate that, then you have a skill gap issue with the, with the other two. All right, so trick question on number three um, is to teach active social skills. No, you don't. You don't need to teach eye contact. You don't need to teach um, question asking, icebreaker stuff, right? Um, genuine conversation comes from genuine interest. And if you're emotionally calm enough to be interested in someone other than yourself, you'll be genuinely curious um, and open to, to learning new things about somebody else. And highly sensitive kids are fantastic at that. They ask a, a ton of awesome, deep, inquisitive um, questions that are, that are really um, uh, quite amazing. So focusing on emotion regulation is uh, the, the hidden number three uh, of this. All right. So if you want our help to break out of this pattern, if you want support in noticing how to make that happen consistently for your child, then definitely book a call uh, with our team and we can walk you through how we help clients do that. You can work with us directly uh, to do that. You can make that 
decision to work with us directly on that very same phone call because you've been struggling for so long. Why wait, right? Because everybody needs to be decisive to fix this problem. And in order to do that, uh, you have to decide to have that conversation. You have to decide that your teen is capable of having that conversation if you're parenting a sensitive teen, that they want to feel better, and you have to decide that your child wants to feel better. And uh, that decisiveness is incredibly important to break out of the pattern. Right? You have to decide to change how you respond immediately and break out of your reactive pattern of trying to preserve yourself, of trying to flee from the problem, of trying to fight the problem at home. Right? I mean, that's what you're not best self is doing at home in, in these, in this meltdown uh, cycle, uh, whether you like it or not. Right. So, uh, we, we help parents break out of this pattern all the time. Happy to support you in figuring out if you're fit for what we do. You have to tell us what your goals are, what, where you're struggling, what, what you're stuck with. And, uh, we'll, we'll share with you how to do that. And you can, you can work with us on that very same day, uh, as you're ready to do it. All right. So, Happy to have the conversation with you, and uh, we look forward to having that conversation. The conversation is free, okay? Uh, if if we feel like there's something that's more efficient or effective to get you to your outcome, then we can we can share that. We we will share that with you. Uh, if working with us isn't the best way to solve the problem, and um, all that would be done on one call. All right. So again, um, look forward to talking to you soon, and have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.